The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today, Sarah Bowen, is an animal chaplain, an award-winning author, and dean of the One Spirit Learning Alliance, an interfaith seminary. Sarah is currently completing postgraduate work at Chicago Theological Seminary on the intersection of human spiritual values and animal welfare. An earlier book of hers, Void If Detached, Seeking Modern Spirituality Through My Father's Old Sermons, won a Nautilus Award. Her latest book is Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. Her essay, How I Became an Animal Chaplain and Why It Matters, is featured in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Sarah Bowen, welcome to Essential Conversations. Wonderful. Thank you, Rami. Well, I'm very excited to talk to you for a number of reasons, but one of them certainly is when I first read your essay on being an animal chaplain in Spirituality and Health magazine, I found the idea so intriguing that I invited you to co-lead a retreat with me on that topic here in Tennessee. That's right. Sadly, yeah, sadly, that is on permanent hold as the retreat center is closed and it's future is very uncertain. So I'm going to use some of our time together on essential conversations to explore the idea of animal chaplaincy uh, because it's it really intrigues me. In fact, let's just start with that. What is an animal chaplain and how might one become an animal chaplain? Sure. Uh, the short answer of what an animal chaplain is, is someone who supports all sentient beings, regardless of their species or their belief system. Right. So we think of chaplains often who, you know, we have chaplains in the military, we have chaplains at, in education, we have chaplains in hospice, uh, we even have eco chaplains now who are working with the earth. Right. Uh, but an animal chaplain is really concerned about making sure that we're not marginalizing other kind. So other kind is in some cases pretty close to our kind. And like, I think. Now, you have to, if you know, you have to correct me on this. The difference between, is it chimpanzees and people is like 
2% of our DNA, something. Yeah, it's actually bonobos we're close to. Bonobos. Yeah, bonobos, they used not to think chimps. it was chimps. They Well, but they thought it was chimps for a long time. So you're, so you're very, very close there. And then they realized that bonobos, which is kind of interesting because bonobos and chimps are very, very different in how they treat each other, how they treat their communities. And we learned that we weren't quite as ferocious and competitive as we'd like to think we are uh, as a species. But yeah, the word, you know, there's a lot of things around words, right, with whether we're talking about other kind or the more more than human world, or we often talk about animals, A-N-Y-M-A-L, you know, all these different ways of trying to talk about including people, but also not making us too distinct, right? Which I think is the point you're hitting on. Yeah. I mean, I'm very interested in more than animal rights. I'm in animal personhood, right? I mean, a a dog isn't a human, but I get the sense personally, and, and I would push for this, you know, politically, that a dog should have some kind of personhood status so that you can't simply abuse the animal and say, well, they're not people, they're animals. Yeah. And, you know, and we do have some laws and they protect some animals, right? And so it's kind of interesting. We we categorize and we classify and we kind of divide animals into ones we love, ones we eat, ones we wear, you know, that kind of thing. And it's really an area right now where those of us who are interested in theoethics are really keen on trying to kind of have those conversations and figure out how far do we extend compassion, rights, relationships, all of those things. So it's messy, Rami. It's very messy. So what did you call that? It's called theoethics, right? Theoethics. So like so, the theo as in God? Theo is in theology. And when we use that academically, we don't always mean God. What we mean is whatever your particular spiritual system is. It's actually a little wider than just um, the G word, if you will. Yeah, so the idea yeah, okay. of... Theoethics is, you know, how are our decisions being influenced by our spiritual values? Ah. So that's the that's the niche um, that we're looking at in here when we look at animal chaplaincy from a conceptual standpoint. Um, you also asked, you know, kind of what does that look like tactically? And I can tell you a little bit about that, too, if that's interesting in terms of what I do on a day-to-day basis. I, I do want to hear that, and I th- I'm sure people are interested in that, but I, I don't want to let theoethics go. <laughs> All right, be- let's do because, it then. <laughs> be- because a lot of people's theology leaves non-humans, I mean, you might argue that that everything is sanctioned to some degree or another, and I'm I'm not disagreeing with that, but the the higher sentient beings, meaning the two-legged and the four-legged and the winged and that kind of thing. A lot of people have a theology that leaves those sanctioned beings out, that they don't count. I mean, there was a time we thought animals didn't feel pain. We just couldn't imagine that. So we would do things to them uh, for our own benefit without realizing that they were, that they were suffering because of us. And, and I'm thinking specifically, and then I'll, I'll let you get in on this. Sure. But, I'm watching, I watch a lot of TV. I always watched a lot of TV. I used to work for CBS Broadcasting and I love TV. But now stuck in the house, I watch more TV than I had. And I'm noticing these heartbreaking commercials from the ASPCA Mm, where they show you all these animals in horrible condition. And I'm not actually, maybe I don't know exactly what they do, but they don't, they get a C plus or maybe a C rating 
from the charity Raiders because they use most of their money to make these videos and don't actually spend a heck of a lot of money helping animals. But, and if I'm wrong about that, you know, anyone listening in, correct me. But <laughs> I, I look at these animals and they are tortured. And I think not only how horrifying for them, but what does that say about the person who did it to them? Their theoethics, and they may be very, because I know people who do this to animals in my town where people are very religious. I know very religious people who just discount the value of a sentient being, like, like I'm thinking specifically of dogs, and they do horrible things to them, and yet they believe in this loving God. They just don't, they don't see how the ethics translates from the human to the non-human animal. What, what, am I way off on that? Or no, do you see the same there's thing? No, there's so much, there's so much in there. There's so much in there. You know, we have 8 million dogs and cats that are surrendered to animal shelters every year. That's 913 of them an hour, mm. right? So it's a big problem. Um, you know, one of my things too is, is wildlife. You know, we have um, a million animals a day that die based on human motorists often who don't intend to, right? So it's a very, very messy kind of way of looking at how do we make sure that the center of the universe doesn't run right through our own forehead, right? Right. And, and I think that we see different models for this in different religions. And, you know, you, you tend to get in this conversation about, you know, Eastern religions are better for animals, Western aren't. And that isn't necessarily the case. You know, we do see ahimsa. We see things in yoga culture. We see vegetarianism, you know, some of these things that are more prevalent in Eastern philosophy. And we see a little more of the dominion on the kind of so-called Western side. But there are so many people that have been digging into this, writing about this. Um, there's a lot of work being done in that area about, you know, really, what what did that mean? Let's go back and look at Genesis. Let's look at Psalm 104, right? What do these things mean? And what we find is that we projected some of our kind of <laughs> Some of the stuff that we had going along in society, we projected into our science, we projected into our religion. And a lot of that is what we call speciesism, right? Which is that we privilege ourselves over every other kind. So the work, the work is for you, for me, for any of us who love animals and who are living a spiritual life, is to really seek out those things uh, that talk about what is our relationship with the world beyond humans, yeah, absolutely. And this is not an East-West situation. I mean, the way the Chinese go after what we considered endangered species in Africa, yeah. because they have some, you know, in my estimation, a bizarre understanding of how antlers and tusks and, and other, other parts of other, you know, of rhinoceroses, if that's how you say it, or is rhinoceros? Rhinoceros? I, really I don't know, is but it? you know I what? I'm going to write that down. That's a good takeaway. <laughs> that's my homework from the that's Essential Conversations That's your homework. Podcast. But, but they're, they're killing them for magic potions. And here's the thing, is I really think, like everything, we have to look at this on an individual level, right? Because it's really about me thinking about what decisions do I make on a daily basis and how do they affect other beings. And whether that's the salt, I live in New York, you know, the salt that we throw down on our walkway, right? Is that animal friendly? Um, what am I feeding my cats? My cats are obligate carnivores. You know, am I getting humanely raised meat for them? Um, you know, what are the different things that I'm wearing? Do I know how 
you know, animals are being treated when those are created. And I think, you know, we just have to add that to our personal um, inquiry, really, rather than kind of getting in the place of who's wrong, where's the blame. Although there is a place for advocacy, of course, but I think it starts with us. Yeah, I think everything starts with the individual, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there is a place to challenge cultural norms that are, I would say, evil. Um, you know, if they were going after human babies, you know, we wouldn't go for that. But well, we, we would don't if it's know. a rhinoceros. Yeah, and it's interesting. A lot of our pharmaceuticals in the U.S. that have really nice, pretty brand names, animals behind those two. Uh, yeah tested on animals and animals in there. And it can get very bleak and it can get very depressing and it can get very sad. So it has to be balanced. And that's where I think the role of like interspecies spiritual practice comes in, right? It doesn't have to be all about the sad piece of it. It can also be, you know, a balance of the joy piece of it too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I tend to be depressive about these things, but that that's <laughs> well, just sad, my personality. Right? It is. But, it is. And, and I do want to move to, to your wonderful book, Spiritual Rebel. But before I let you do that, you do list in the magazine article in Spirituality and Health, a little, there's a little sidebar that says what you can do. And there's a whole list of things which we just can't go through. So let's talk about one that you call Reduce. Pledge to eat fewer animal products for 30 days. And I guess there's a website called Reduce, re, yeah, it should so be Reduceitarian, I guess. It's Reduceitarian. And I actually, org. yeah, and I actually used their model and created uh, something called Spiritualitarian, uh, which, which I use as well. But the idea is, you know, we can get these places of, you know, trying to become a certain type of uh, eating style, and then beating ourselves up when we don't get to where we really want to be with it, right? I hear this all the time where people say, I really wish I didn't eat animals, but I do. Right. And so, you know, what we can do is we can look at how about not on Fridays? How about not before dinner? How about reducing? We eat right now, um, they used to eat about 4% of the diet when, you know, humans started was meat. Now we're over 50%. And anybody who's listening to the news knows that, you know, when we talk about pandemics and the rainforest and climate weirding and all of these things, that there's a piece of that is is based in how much animal agriculture we have. So reduce, just reduce a little, right? And see how that goes. See how you feel. Um, and that's, it's a starting point. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. So I was going to suggest a couple more, and I'm just going to read them. We won't go into them uh, because I realize that we're we're running up against the clock. It seems like we just <laughs> we're having started. too much fun. I, I know, and I do want to get to your book, but uh, you, you suggest that people watch the movie Speciesism, which is called Spe Speciesism: The Movie, which I tried to do, but you can't. It's I, I don't know. It's not exactly available and easily available. So I well, haven't watched it yet. Let me give you an alternative. Yet. Yeah. Try A Prayer for Compassion, which is now on Amazon and readily available. Try that one. Okay. 
Thank you very much. And then dust off the Velveteen Rabbit. Yeah, who doesn't love the Velveteen Rabbit, right? Who doesn't I, remember the Velveteen Rabbit? <laughs> well, I don't you know, remember what the point was. You weren't a little was. girl who was covered in stuffed animals as a seven-year-old, were you? I was. We read the Velveteen Rabbit. But, you know, the idea in there is the relationship between a little boy and his stuffed animal. And what the, the question of that book is, is who deserves to be loved and I think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves in all these situations. So that's why I say dust off the Velveteen Rabbit. Okay. I'm going to have to go buy a copy of the Velveteen Rabbit. Oh, I'll okay. send you my favorite version of it. Oh, there's multiple <laughs> there versions. Go. All right. So let's talk about Spiritual Rebel. It's a really fun read. And there's a couple of things I just wanted you to, to dig into with us. So in the book, you write uh, that each of us must find our own spiritual path. And later you say that spirituality leads to, and this is a quote, you know, we are okay. So what does it mean when you say we are okay? How did, how did we get to be un-okay? And what kind of spiritual path you think leads us to being okay? So you ask me the big question with a few minutes remaining. I love it. <laughs> Let's try. Let's try to just dig a little in. Um, what I was referring to in that is the idea of, you know, we come out of a wellness cultural which is very much based sometimes in I am okay and I need to be okay. And I'm a person in 12-step recovery and I get it. I had to learn to be okay myself, right? But that can also become very self-serving if we don't extend beyond ourselves. So the comparison I make is wellness means I am okay and spirituality leads to we will be okay and that we need both of those. Okay. So... What is okay? Well, I don't know. What is okay? I think we... <laughs> so it's different. It's every person it's different has to define for everybody. that. Yeah. So I if don't... that's the case, yeah. then, you know, way later in the book, 200 pages later, you have this notion of reverent trash collectors. It made me think of Marie Kondo and you pick up you know, objects in your life and does this bring me joy? And if it doesn't, you thank it for being in your life and then you give it Ditch to goodwill it. or something. That's right. Yeah. So um, you, you've got this notion of reverent trash collectors where, if I understand it right, you're suggesting we go through our beliefs and we do the same thing. If it doesn't bring me joy, mm -hmm. then I'm going to toss it. What does that do to religion? Or are we moving in, uh, are, are spiritual rebels moving into a post-religious mindset? I don't think so, actually. I think what we're doing, I think that everything that we don't like about people, we have chucked onto the word religion. And I think it's a little unfair sometimes. And so one, uh, and, and I say that being somebody who has had big periods of being atheist, agnostic, uh, religious, spiritual, all sorts of different things, right? I was a preacher's kid who was raised at the Jewish Community Center, right? So my, my life was weird to start off with. I think the point I'm trying to make is to go through your sacred trash and to figure out if what you think about a religion is true or not. Because we treat our religions like they're monoliths. All Christians think, all Jewish people think, and that's like saying all Californians think. And it just isn't always true. So I'm talking about discernment, right? Go back in, look at our beliefs, figure out what may be true, what may have just been inherited, um, and and figure out where we are living and, and what's useful to us. Not just that which brings us joy, um, but, but what's useful for us to be joyful ourselves, but also to help others. When I do that, and, and this is, I guess, is just me. I mean, first of all, yeah. it's, it sounds a little relativistic. So... 
You know, for for someone, uh, what's true is Jesus Christ is uh, the only begotten Son of God through whom you you earn eternal life and salvation, and and all other ways are wrong. I look at that belief. I look at, in fact, I look at all beliefs as inherited. I don't think any of them. I, I know this is an overstatement, clearly, but you know, looking at Judaism, I don't think. There's a God who chooses the Jews. I don't think there's a God who writes books. I don't think there's a God who has children. I don't think there's a God who watches over us yeah. and, and you know, rewards you or punishes you with COVID-19. That, all of that stuff is, to me, you know, you can see where and when and why it was made up, but it's all made up. Now, but there's if a key were, word there. There's a key yeah. word there, Rami, which yeah. is that we're in this space. We've gone to the space of talking about belief. And one of the, the points that I was trying to do with spiritual world, because we can get we can get nerdy religious and do our exegesis real well, right, on any of these topics. But what I tried to do in the book was get us to say, let's take the beliefs, let's figure out what's useful, what's not, and then let's move to experience. Because the end point is not the belief. It's the experience. It's the connection. It's the ability to have your spirituality um, inspire you to do seva, to do service, to do whatever. And if we get stuck in the belief space of you believe such and such and I believe such and such and let's fight about that for a while, we don't get anywhere. So I think that's where I was trying to go is the sacred trash picking is the first step that enables us to then go to experience. Does yeah, that make that, sense? It, it makes sense. I happen to agree with it. That's why it makes sense. But uh, <laughs> So my confirmation bias has been completed. <laughs> that's right. So because I think that that experience is the only thing that really matters yeah. and that beliefs are, I mean, I, I believe what I don't know to be true. I, you know, if someone says, do you have a sister? I never say, oh, I believe I have a sister. I know I have a sister. You might say, is your sister home? I say, well, I believe she's home, but I don't know if she's home. So beliefs are ways of affirming things that we don't know to be true. True, yeah. Experience, now I'm assuming a lot here, but experience through contemplative practice, I think, if you're serious about your practice, always leads to a core set of experiences, interdependence, oneness, globalist ethic, beyond just the human, you know, all, all beings. I think the experience leads you there. And so that your affirmation of the oneness of, of life and our ethical obligations toward it is rooted in experience and is not a belief. It's, I would say, it's true and testable, just like in science. Science makes claims yeah, that are it's, testable. It's a knowing. It's a knowing. It, it's a knowing that can be tested by anyone who wants to do the meditative work of testing it. Although and I would also add to, to yours, if I might, non, non-contemplative spiritual practices too. And that's one of my big, big kind of sticking points sometimes is where we say it's only the contemplative practices. And sometimes we can get there in some things that are wild and crazy and a little zany too. Well, that's a very good point. <laughs> that's a very good point. You know, my, my teacher, Father Thomas Keating, made yeah. a very big point about saying, look, contemplative practice is one thing. Gardening also works. Dance That's also right. works. You know? That's so, right. So, and, I, and I agree with that. I, you, yeah. Thank you for catching me uh, on that. One last question, because sure. I know we've actually gone over the time that was allotted to us, but, you know, it's a podcast. 
As Dean of the One Spirit Learning Alliance, where do you think the future of religion, the future of spirituality, the future of clergy is going? Mm. And, and let me just make it very topical. I sense, because I, I have, I talk to hundreds and hundreds of clergy people who are seeing, in a sense, the end of the old way of doing things with organized religions and denominations and, and big churches and even small churches and big synagogues, small, all of that stuff, that something is absolutely was on the way out. The, the pandemic is speeding it up. And I imagine that something like One Spirit is looking to train the clergy of the future in a different kind of space. So I'm curious about what you think that space might be. It sounds like you've already gone through our program. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we, we talk about training spiritual leaders, right, as opposed to just clergy. And the idea is to be able to have people understand what their call is and how do they then get the skill set and the communication skills and the network to be able to go out and to do that in the world. Right. So that's how we train clergy. Now, it also requires that you learn about these beliefs, right, that we were just talking about. And it learns and that we have to learn about experience and we have to try things and, and all that. But where I think we're headed is to a place where each person determines what their work is to do in the world as opposed to an organization deciding what their work is. Now, I think there's still a space for churches. I think there's still a space for, for synagogues, for mosques, for meditation centers, for yoga studios. These are all organized spiritual you know, centers, right? But they are changing and they're transitioning. And the more that we net them together through spiritual leadership, right? So it's not just about I belong to my tribe, the more work we can do. And it's always going to come back to me to what it, what is the work. And so that's what we do at One Spirit. Mm, getting beyond the tribe, that I think is the, the big work for our time. And it brings us back full circle to where we started, right? Because that tribe doesn't just include the two-legged right. people who uh, who pay the mortgage. So That's right. you know, it's, it's, it's much, much bigger. It's the planet, it's the animals, and it's all of the people. And so that's what we're including all together in what we study. Yeah. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, it says that we're to be a blessing to all the families of the earth, not just human, not just Jewish, but all the families of the earth. Amen. Amen. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. If you like Essential Conversations, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow me on Spirituality and Health's website, where I now write a regular column called Roadside Musings, and on my new podcast, Conversations on the Egg. And don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Catherine Drury-Wagner. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening.
since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.